Welcome back to Chris and Reggie's Cosmic Treadmill, where we like to go back to the past and read some DC comics from their yesteryears of publishing. You can hear us every week on the WeirdScienceDCComics.com podcast, and this week we don't even really have a DC comic, do we, Chris? Well, it's still technically a DC. Oh, they, were, they still had the logo in this at this time. It's before, yeah. It's before they went fully vertigo. We're going to be talking about Sandman issue number six from June of 1989. It was uh, called uh, "24 Hours," written by Neil Gaiman, with art by Mike Dringenberg and Malcolm Jones III. Before we get into the comic here, let's talk a little bit about. Uh, the writer here, Neil, Neil Gaiman, he was born November 10th, 1960, in Porchester, Hampshire, England. Uh, it's, uh, uh, he, <laughs> was, was he born in three three locations at once? Is that how it works? I mean, it's, why is it two? I, I, I think I so. I, maybe, I think he was triplets. Oh, and, no. uh, yeah. They met and they combined their powers. <laughs> Spontaneously, uh, yeah. Yes, they were full of stars, apparently. Um, <laughs> he got started in comics after forming a relationship with Alan Moore. He uh, took over uh, Miracle Man, uh, which Moore was writing for Eclipse Comics at the time. And uh, that story was left unfinished uh, for a long, long time because Eclipse went kaput and then Miracle Man went into a copyright limbo, purgatory yeah. hell. <laughs> Um, that, he wrote that's, a, a, that's a that's a cute story in itself, but he's about to finish it now, isn't he? I believe, or is he? I think it now? he's I think he's finished the uh, the Silver Age. I think because uh, he did the two two ages he did with uh, I think it was Mark Buckingham, and uh, he did two of them already that came out from Marvel. I don't know if the new ones have come out just yet. Yeah, or they're they're imminent. That's supposed he's supposed to complete it. Yeah. Yeah, he was hoping. Um, he wrote a handful of uh, stories. They were called Future Shocks for 2000 AD magazine. And uh, the Future Shocks, they were short strips that featured works of up-and-coming talent. Uh, a lot of the uh, a lot of the Vertigo guys started doing these Future Shocks. Um, DC was impressed, and they hired him in the late 1980s. Uh, a funny anecdote here. He was he asked uh, to write uh, Black Orchid. Uh, but due to his accent, uh, they thought he wanted to write something called Black Hawk Kid. <laughs> That's really weird. Uh, but you know, Black Hawk Kid, even even you know, it's kind of an obscure character, so I'm sure that sure. Wasn't, they weren't thinking about her right away. Yeah, but uh, you can see them like nudging each other, like who who's Black oh. Hawk Kid? Oh yeah, sure, Neil, you can write whatever you want. Who is yeah. that? You know, cut <laughs> in the archives. Did did we do a kid version of Black Hawk? Yeah, exactly. But, uh, <laughs> Uh, Karen Berger offered him the opportunity to revitalize uh, the character of the Sandman after receiving a proposal to revive the mid-70s, that's the uh, Kirby series. Mm -hmm. And uh, here we be. Yep, and here we go. And, you know, uh, we did cover a lot of this in an old issue, in an old episode of Weird Comics History, back when it was Mm -hmm. still part of the podcast. So I don't remember what episode it was, so figure it out. Um, a little bit about the characters in the comic. We got Sandman, aka Morpheus, aka Dream, aka Oneros, aka many, many other names, depending on the culture and person that is perceiving uh, Sandman. He's one of the endless, and this is a tough one to explain, but there are. It's. It was originally seven, right? I think so. Endless uh, siblings. They are immortal. They so, it's sort of implied that they are the sons and daughters of the Titans, I believe. Uh, but what it is that they essentially control, you know, aspects of mankind's, I don't know, personality, culture. You know, you got one guy's yeah. war, one. Uh, you have that girl, Death. Death. Uh, there's uh, 
gluttony. Um, I can't remember the other one. Is like the one that the the one that changes sex all the time. <laughs> Who's sort of like just like sexiness and lying? I don't know what what that. You know, it, it's it, there's fate, blind fate that walks around reading his book all the time. It, it really is. I, it's so difficult to explain, and it, it yeah. really has to be read to be understood. But I guess I guess suffice to say that Sandman is the guy in control of the dream realm, mm-hmm. and that should be enough, I guess. Uh, another person, and really the only other, you know, uh, re- recurring character in this particular issue is John D, A.K.A. Doctor Destiny. This is a villain uh, first appearance, Justice League of America number five from June 1961. His thing was he wore uh, he was really silly looking. He wore a cloak with a skull mask for most <laughs> of his career, and he would just create these like crazy devices to. It was essentially like a Joker, you know what I mean? That kind of a guy, you know, sort of like breaking into the bank vault with a, uh, a death ray or whatever it is, you know. But he was. Yeah, he, he tried to get away with $100,000 of bank funds using a $5 million machine. You know, there exactly, yeah, that kind, that kind of clever <laughs> superhero, you know, logic. You know, it's all about making a grand display. So, Certainly. Uh, you know, the, he was, uh, you know, really. Not a character people were thinking about too much when this issue came out, I'll tell you that. He, I, I bet he hadn't been seen in quite a while. So just to give you a little background on this, um, Sandman was captured at the turn of the 20th century, and in doing so, he lost some of his special items that give him power, a helm, a cloak, right? Am I right about that? Uh, I think so, yeah. Uh, yeah, a helm, a cloak, and a, and a ruby, like this ruby of dream. Uh, through weird events, Doctor Destiny came into possession of this ruby, and he uh, took it off this KO'd body. Is that what it was? I don't remember how that happened. Sandman was laying. He was laying prone in like a storage facility. Oh right, right, that's right. Like a storage locker. Yeah, because because it was all part of his weird like having been captured. It kind of messed up his mojo. Uh, but anyway, he came in. He came into possession of this ruby that controls Dream, and as we're going to find out, controls a lot of other things. Certainly, certainly. As we open the issue, we uh, we look in on the all-night diner. Um, we're going to meet uh, a woman named Bet, who's the waitress, uh, but she'd rather be a writer. Uh, uh, when I first all. read this, <laughs> that's a fact, right? When I first read this, I thought that I thought this was going to be her story, just the way they brought it in. Sure, yeah, and, uh, seems like. Yeah, I, I really like that it was kind of a red herring here. Uh, now, she writes stories about all of her regulars, and uh, she tells those stories that the way that she feels that they ought to turn out, uh, you know, kind of dismissing reality and giving them all happy endings. Yeah, uh, another thing we gonna... all liked. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Next, uh, we meet a young girl named Judy. Uh, she's a troubled young girl, uh, currently going through some uh, relationship woes with her girlfriend. Uh, she's wearing a she's wearing like a like a jean jacket and like a bunch of pins, like you see. Uh, she like, looks very '90s. I mean, right out of yes. like a Winona Ryder movie or something. Bless her. Heart. Yeah, exactly. Uh, she's got uh, her little pins on her jacket. One of them says uh, "Rude Girl." Uh, she's got a she's got a misspelled sex pistols one that shows up later and she's got uh, the symbol for anarchy um, and she heads to the bathroom after ordering a, ordering a tuna sandwich and we see a huge joy division patch on her jacket so that's right she's uh, from that era or uh, is evoking that era and she's um, she's also she also likes uh, 
the ladies, I think, you know, she's talking about she's got yes. a girlfriend, yeah. Yeah, yeah she's has her uh she's going through some problems with the uh, with her gal pal and uh in uh, in Beth's story here, she because she's already told stories about the these troubled girls, uh, she has them both having settled down with husbands because oh. she thinks that that'd be their happy ending. Well, isn't that nice? Uh, isn't it? Next next entrance to the uh, all night diner is a young man who's killing time before a big job interview. He's uh, caffeinating for the grand event, you know, getting himself all nice and awake. Uh, his ending in Beth's story is that he scores the job as well as the boss's daughter. Mm-hmm. Um, then the Fletchers come in. These are sort of like a yuppie couple, right? I think so. They're, I think that's what they're supposed to evoke. They kind of, they always kind of freak me out the way they look. Um, yeah. So they 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 look they look to be very happy. At least to bet she thinks he's uh, they're they're doing swell. But something about them you can tell that they're 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 not perfect. Life is not all perfect for these two. Next comes in Marsh. Uh, he's a widower, a trucker, and an all-around shaky fella. Uh, his wife was named Marsha, which Bet sees as proof that they were meant to be Marsh and Marsha. But she drank mm-hmm. herself to death and died in a sanitarium. She didn't get a happy ending. I think uh, she should have followed mm-hmm. Beth's advice. Bet's advice. <laughs> and finally, there's a shadowy man sitting in a corner. He's dark, frail, and balding, and re- looks kind of gross, to be honest with you. Yeah. Um, his hair is, looks all stringy and crappy. He appears to be wearing a glowing red gem while slowly sipping his coffee. This is our man, John D., Dr. Destiny. I bet she, sure he'll eventually open up for her and eventually give her enough material that she can craft his story with a happy ending as soon as he gets him to chit-chat. Yes. Now, uh, an hour goes by. Uh, the man who was waiting for his job interview, he decides to blow it off. He uh, gets up and goes, eh, maybe I'll have another cup of coffee. And he sits down. Uh, we go another hour. John D.S. at the television set be turned on, and uh, there's a soap opera playing. It's called Secret Haunts, <laughs> which is funny because that was both an old DC Comics title from uh, the you know 50s or 60s, I'd reckon. Oh yeah. And as well as an in comic soap opera that Supergirl acted on back in the day. Yeah, so I remember. Uh, I remember that from. Uh, well, that was from the late 70s, right? In that era. Mm-hmm, I think so. Yeah, but I don't. I don't. Obviously, I don't remember the romance comic because I'm not really knowledgeable about romance comics. Man. Yeah. I think that's pretty funny. Yeah, that's a neat little uh, throwback there. Um, we pop in on Judy, who's on the phone with her girlfriend's mother, and it doesn't go well. Um, I don't know if she's being... If uh, the, if her girlfriend is being re-educated or whatever, but uh, she calls her mother a, a hag and hangs up on her. Yeah. Uh, on the television, a children's TV show starts, and uh, the whole Host is wearing like a like a dinosaur puppet on his hand, and he's instructing the children on how to slit their wrists, yeah. uh, which D is tickled pink by. <laughs> he is very very pleased. So I mean, what does uh, this imply that his power has growing? That I, I I don't know if it's the perception of yeah. his power, like or, or or if it's actually that's actually going on. I don't yeah, know if it's, it's just what the the patrons can see. It's unclear. You, we kind of get the impression later that as time goes on, his power is sort of expanding beyond the diner. But I don't know if this particular scene is, yeah. like you say, whether it's just it's just the, your, their perception of it. 
Yeah. And uh, now uh, we go uh, to hour number five, and the patrons begin to get restless. Uh, Mr. Fletcher, he's a little bit discombobulated. He thinks it's really odd that nobody knew it was entered. Um, he knows he's been, that they've been there for a really long time, but at the same time, it feels like they just got there. Um, now, this mood changes from one panel to the next. Uh, like he's, he's all freaking out and sweating, and then the next panel, he's like, oh, but I love it here. And yeah. uh, the process repeats a few times. So uh, during these uh, early hours where he's just, uh, you know, kind of uh, discombobulated. Yeah, I mean, it, this is really strangely done because it's sort of, you know, he, he goes through these emotions on the page and it pans out sort of as they go down. He keeps repeating yep. these same emotional cycles, but you almost see them, you know, in a, in a different context every time. It's so th- something funny is going on around here is all I'm saying. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. So for hour seven, D decides to let his flies, what he's calling the poor souls caught in his web, live out their fantasies for a little bit. And we find out the job seeker's name is Mark. He's currently a high-powered executive director. He's sitting behind the big desk in his dream with a big plush chair uh, with a, mm-hmm. a phone with a large coil on it for some reason. Uh, Mr. Fletcher is in a fabulously expensive convertible while getting a blowjob from a $20 hooker. That's a pretty much... That's paradise, right? That's an American dream right there. Mrs. Fletcher has killed her husband for lying via decapitation. She gazes happily at his head, which is laying on a tray, before licking it for reasons that might become a little clear later. Because uh, she's a creep. And <laughs> Bet's dreams are boring. She wants to be a writer that's even bigger than Stephen King, which is, you know, come on. And Judy's dream is sort of like uh, it's a sexual reunion with her lover. It's definitely something implied there, you know. Um, yeah. But, you know, she basically wants to be with Donna, and Dee really enjoys that particular fantasy, so he checks it out for a little while. Yeah, he, he, he digs that crazy scene. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> we go to Alan number nine, and uh, Dee introduces some conflict into the mix, which... Uh, we see Judy getting uh, punched in the face and being called a dyke by Marsh, who uh, then goes on to threaten to rape her to show her what it was like to be with a real man, a proper man. Uh, go up another hour, hour 10. John D. is looked at as though he's a god. He's held aloft on the shoulders of the, the very wide shoulders of Mr. Fletcher as they all chant his name. Mm-hmm. Um, the now unemployed Mark chops off one of his own fingers and offers it up as a sacrifice and tasty treat for John D. And he eats um, it. He eats it. <laughs> the gross bastard? I mean, come on. <laughs> and then, uh, Cannibalism, too. Let's just throw that in the mix. Why not? Why not? Uh, for hour number 11, they watch the news, which is grim. Uh, this is, uh, you know, like you were saying, the power is getting outside the uh, either is either getting outside the diner or it's just they're seeing madness yeah, it's tough you know, in the it's, world it's tough to tell yeah but uh i don't know it go either way but yeah sure either, what's on tv is not pleasant uh at the halfway point we're at hour number 12 and this is the creepiest uh I, i'd call it a truth a dare game but there's really no dares it's just truth mm. um we hear from mrs fletcher we find out her first name is kate she said she shares a story about the time that she got drunk and banged a corpse you know as you do sure uh, you know, and, uh, at least, at and, least, at least she was drunk. She can, you know, pretend. Yeah, she's got an alibi. Yeah. Uh, and uh, to to put a nice little cherry on that, as a as she was, you know, going at it with the corpse, its mouth filled up with blood. 
that she plunged her face into. So there's uh, maybe that's why she uh, was licking her poor husband's decapitated. I mean, uh, how fucking gross is that, dude? You know what I mean? Like yeah. just the visual of that. It's like you know, having sex with a corpse is bad enough, but you're like, oh yeah, like. You would kind of be moving shit around in there, wouldn't you? Yeah. It's not something you think about. <laughs> you don't really think about it too deeply, but when you do, you're sorry you did. You are. So, uh, you know, it's it took a long time. It took 13 hours, but we're finally to the orgy. There we go. And uh, but you know, D doesn't join in. He just he's he's a voyeur. He likes to watch. And frankly, I'm not sure if uh, his junk works down there the way he's looking he's like, he doesn't <laughs> look too healthy i think it might need to be said. i love his i love the one word he says as they're all going at it yeah neat he says neat he thinks it's, <laughs> he thinks it's cool so hour 14 d treats the girls as though they were oracles demanding they tell him his future and he's not stopping till they tell him that he will crush the dream lord and they're just doing exactly that. It's very weird. They're acting sort of like the fates of Greek legend or something. Yeah. Uh, hour 15. Yeah, I was, well, I was, oh, I was looking at a uh, in an, 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 an annotation of this. And uh, I guess like even like the order in which they were standing is uh, it, there's actually a point to that. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I think it's it has like to do with the their crone ages. and the yeah. yeah, it's it's very, very intricately done. It's and, and you know, is that from. Is that D's mind, or is this sort of like the, you know, yeah. fate put it that way? Anyway, you know, you could go really deep. Wacky with the symbolism. Sandman, uh, yeah, symbolism. <laughs> it's a little crazy. Uh, hour 15 is perhaps the most creepy and abusive. He gives the flies back their minds just for a little bit, and they freak out, as you might imagine. Yeah. When one guy's cut his finger off, they've been punching each other, having orgies, um, and then he takes them away. And because uh, yep. he, he enjoys watching them freak, and then he uh, takes their minds away again. Hour 16, they play Murder in the Dark, and it's just black panels. And it seems like one of them, one of the uh, flies, deep Dr. Destiny's flies, has been murdered, but they are still alive on the next page. Hour 17, they have to do penance and contrition. Uh, Marsh confesses to hating his former wife, and... It, to fueling her alcoholic urges by buying an entire crate of vodka for her and going out of town for a week knowing that she would just drink herself to death, that he purposely sort of killed his own wife. Mm -hmm. um, and then while in jail, buying Bet Sutton for a pack of smokes and then fucking in the ass. And so his penalty is several nails driven through his hand, which is, I think, fair. I think that's a good exchange. Yeah, such a such a brutal scene though, just having uh, his hand again up on the ball, up on the counter, with nails being driven through it. The whole thing is so brutal, you know what I mean? But it's just it? like it's like human beings are messed up people. Yep. <laughs> now we're in the home stretch here. Hour number eighteen, he awakens their primal urges. Uh, so the women hide; they're all they're all huddled under a table, and the men fight just for dominance. Yeah, uh, and the uppie, the uppie has a real weird face right here. Yes, he does. <laughs> <laughs> he uh, he shows that he's the alpha by tearing out poor Mark's throat with his teeth. He actually just chomps into the dude's throat and kills him. Yeah. Uh, now, hour number 19 is story time. Uh, D recites a little bit from Snow White. Uh, hour 20 is a sing-along. And uh, hour 21 is when he shows them the uh, he shows some of them the truth. He shows uh, Judy, she, the, you know, the truth, the light. And, and to, so she can actually see the light. She stabs herself in the eyes with skewers. Yeah. 
And she's pretty it's, happy about it. And she yeah, she's smiling. It's oh, it's brutal. And yeah. uh, like, and she's got like blood tears coming down her face. It was ah, oh, very unsettling. And then the um, next page, you see they're still. Je- I mean, I assume she's dead now. You know, you gotta be probably right. Stabbed, and, uh, probably stabbed her frontal lobe. Mm-hmm. Uh, for hour twenty-two, John D just he just stands there watching. He look, looks at all these bodies laying in the in the diner because uh, they're all dead by this point. Uh, hour twenty-three is uh, shows him catching and eating a fly, which is probably a little bit of symbolism. And then finally, hour twenty-four, Morpheus shows up and D is happy to see him because he just started to become bored. Mm-hmm. Which I, which I gotta say, that's some staying power. 24 hours of torture and, you know, uh, two hours of watching just a bunch of corpses. Mm-hmm. That man has some staying power. And obviously, uh, the next issue, a lot of crazy stuff happens, but we're not going to reveal that. That's for you to read, and you definitely should read. Uh, yeah. The whole Sandman series is definitely one of the best written series in comics. Um, I would say it's a slow burn in a way, you know? It's... Uh, you know, it's 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 pretty entertaining from the jump. I remember I, I uh, walked away from it when it first came out because I, I had pegged it as a goth girl comic. Right? <laughs> yep. Mind you, I was a teenager too, so I was I had my own uh, prejudices and whatever. But um, when you read the whole thing, it, everything counts, and this is one of the best crafted stories of any kind, comics or otherwise, I've oh, ever yeah. read. You know, it really is so smart and. Uh, clever and detailed, and it just has much to to see and enjoy. But this is not our only Sandman, is it? As usual, we have to give you all the information about everything <laughs> that ever happened. So, uh, Sandman actually is this Sandman that we're talking about. Morpheus is based on uh, an original Sandman, a character named Wesley Dodds, who was created by Gardner Fox and Bert Crustman. First appearance was in Adventure Comics number 40. That was July 1939. He also appeared in World Fair Comics number 1 in 1939. That was a comic DC made for the New York World's Fair. Uh, First time Batman and Superman ever appeared in a comic together. And in fact, this comic would morph into World's Finest after the World's Fair was over in 1940. Um, The original version was uh, Sandman wore a... Uh, green suit, an orange fedora, right? He had a purple cape mm-hmm. yep. and a gas mask. Uh, I thought he looked so awesome. Oh he, yeah. He often had a, tr- a gas gun, but he had a few other trick guns. Actually, he had a wire wire poon gun, kind of like Rorschach had and Watchmen. I always thought mm-hmm. that was where he got that from. And uh, I think there were some other. You know, he would shoot a line here. He had all kinds of little gimmicks now and again. But more normally, to be honest, he he fought just by running around punching people in the face. His, his girlfriend, Dion, or Diane Belmont, drove him around in her personal convertible roadster. Uh, she was unusual in comics at the time. She wasn't really like a damsel in distress. Sometimes he would have to save her, but often she would save him. She would, you know, kind of follow him closely behind while he went into the murder house and then get spring him from his trap or whatever it was. Um, and what I always loved is, too, is... She drove him in her roadster, like the same car that she drove yep. all day. She drove him to <laughs> a crime scene. So it's like you'd think they would just look at her license plate and, and, and get her. Let's follow her home, yeah. Now, uh, in, in 1942, uh, Jack Kirby and Joe Simon, you might have heard of these guys, they took over the title in Adventure Comics number 72. That was March of that year. Uh, they were brought over to D.C. for some of that Kirby-Simon magic. They were... 
obviously real hot for having created Captain America a couple of years before. And uh, from what I've read, even back then, you know, uh, Kirby bristled under the, uh, you know, authority of, of Timely or Marvel at the time, and he was happy to do work for other publishers. So this was their chance. They were supposed to infuse the, the character who had kind of waned over the years with a little to modernize him for, you know, 1942 sensibilities, you know, in those two years that elapsed. So uh, at this time, when they did it, he wore a a costume that is less popular, but maybe more well-known, where it's mostly yellow with a purple cowl. You know know what I'm talking about? Purple pants. Yep. Yep. Um, This is often considered the Kirby uh, and Simon Sandman costume, but they actually didn't invent it. That, That came out several months earlier, three months earlier, in Adventure Comics number 69, 1941. So that was designed by Gardner, I mean, I'm sorry, by Bert Christman, most likely. Uh, depending, Probably, yeah. Depending on Druid, and they actually improved it a little bit. Um, it looks like, uh, to be honest, Kirby drew a lot of these old Sandman. I, I have a collection of them, uh, and it looks like maybe it only collects the ones they knew Kirby drew. But whatever it was, they improved it a little bit, they extended his cowl, they, they kind of made it look a little more even. And uh, they did invigorate the character. Sandman had had been was in Adventure Comics, which was an anthology, and he'd been relegated to the back of the comic. And over their time, he came to the front, and eventually Sandman was featured on the cover again. Uh, he was also in the Justice Society of America, which was a team that was featured in All-Star Comics. Uh, and he actually was in the very first issue. He was an original member of the team, All-Star Comics, number one, summer 1940. He didn't actually last too long. I don't even think he lasted to 1941. Definitely not 1942. The membership of this team in the Golden Age rotated a lot. You know, it, yeah. was, it was always honorary members, Batman, Superman, later on Wonder Woman, and uh, I think even Green Lantern became an... There were honorary members were the ones that stayed. The other ones, they just came in and out, man, our man, <laughs> Dr. Yeah, Fate, you just name them. Just they, depending on what was needed for the ex- story. Ex- or whatever, just like, just throw, throw something at the wall and make it stick. Uh, he came back, though, when the JSA came back in Justice League of America, number 46, July 1966. This was like post-Flash of Two Worlds when they started to have uh, Earth Prime and Earth 2 and, and things like that. And he would often be in their annual team-up, so he showed up again. Yeah, and then we have another Sandman here by the name of Garrett Sanford. Uh, this is this is the one that uh, Kirby and Simon did uh, start, right? Uh, in yeah. In the uh, mid-70s. Yeah. And this was uh, only a six-issue run here. Uh, this uh, Sandman 1 through 6 was December 1974 to uh, somewhere in 1975. Yeah. The seventh issue was published in the uh, Best of DC Comics number 22, and that was March 1982. It was, uh, it's uh, one of those Blue Ribbon Digests. Yeah, I love those things. We should, we should do a whole podcast <laughs> yeah, about those. I love those. I miss them. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, now, Simon and Kirby return to the character. But uh, don't write and draw every issue. Uh, <laughs> uh, Kirby does he does do every cover though, so yeah. we have that. Uh, now he's a, a superhero living in some kind of alternate dimension, protecting kids from nightmares, particularly one uh, one such boy named Jed. Um, two tame nightmares called uh, Brute and Glob assist him on his mission, and this Sandman, along with Brute and Glob, would later show up in the uh, the game and series. I believe it's issue. Fifteen. Yeah, I, I couldn't find um, the issue, but it, I, I love that issue. It's great. Yeah, 
Oh yeah, or and, they, uh, they that sort of explain how it's been. Well, it, it sort of gets more involved as you, as you'll explain now. Yeah. Yes, <laughs> yes. Uh, this is actually it's Garrett's body, but it's not Garrett inside it. It's actually inhabited by Hector Hall, who is the son of Hawkman, originally the Silver Scarab. Um, now, as noted, he becomes uh, he becomes incarnated as Sandman while he's dead using Sanford's body. Now, Brute and Glob, they try to use him to take over the Dream Dimension. They're trying to convince him that he is the Dream God, basically. Yeah. Uh, and it's uh, it's yeah, such a fun issue. It's uh, it's one that I actually I covered on the blog uh, back in I think April or so. Oh yeah. And uh, yeah, it's a uh, it's it's one of the only two that I've covered, and and the other one is number six. Yeah, and you um, know I didn't realize that a lot of this was established in Infinity Inc. Uh, until Infinity like, Inc. was a lot of stuff, yeah. There was a lot of, and, and like that's where this, I mean, you know, Neil Gaiman. All Star Squadron. Yeah. But he's, you know, Neil Gaiman sort of puts a capstone on this incarnation of Hector Hall here, but it was it it was established before him. I'm assuming by Roy Thomas if it was Infinity Inc. I would assume. So yeah. you know, it, it, I always I always thought this was his take on Simon and Kirby's '70s Sandman. But it's not totally, you know. This is that this was actually happening in the pages of Infinity Inc. That Sandman yeah. had returned. Yeah, because because his wife was on the she was on the team with him, and he, and he had died during uh, he had died in Infinity Inc. Um, now she's uh, she's become pregnant uh, in the Dream World here, and her son Daniel would uh, eventually take over the helm of Morpheus. So. There would be a Sandman in the family after all. Oh yeah, I, and I, I just want to say, you know, I know I'm I'm spoiling the whole book, cause, but basically <laughs> this this thing that we're that we're talking about that takes place around issue 15 is relevant to the very end of the book, you know, to the last yep. issue of the book, and and even the first issue of this uh, comic is totally relevant to the last issue. Oh yeah, it's 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 so tight. It is. It's, uh, there's like you said, the nothing goes to waste. Everything is important. Um, now Hector Hall, he would go on to become reincarnated again as Doctor Fate. And I think that's his last reincarnation, right? Has he come back again? Do you know? I or? don't think so. Because whenever when I first when I saw Hector Hall was in the book, I'm like, oh, it's Doctor Fate. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> that's, that's where you I knew him from, as. probably. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Of and course, I, find I out knew him as the stuff. Silver Scarab. No, I didn't know him as the Silver I don't want to. <laughs> uh, so you're the other member of that fan club. Exactly. The Silver Scarab Boys, we call ourselves. We love it. Uh, I'm the vice president. Yes. So uh, we also got to give a nod out to his uh, sidekick, or what do we call these guys, right? Yeah, sidekicks. Yes. Sandy Hawkins, Sandy the Golden Boy, Sands Sand. He was a lad who... In in Simon and Kirby's first run on Sandman in the 40s, they dressed the exact same, which always annoys the hell out of me when the sidekick just dresses in a smaller version of, yeah. of his uh, hero's costume. The uh, Flash Kid Flash thing. Exactly. Like, it was like, come on, guys, you can do a little better <laughs> than that. Later on, he would get something a little more distinguished, and later on, he would become the actual successor to Wesley Dodds and take on the, the mantle of the Sandman. Yeah, he briefly, he briefly was the chairman of uh, JSA uh, oh, really? in the late uh, late 90s or turn of the century. Yeah, and he had a he had almost a gas mask, but it was like a stylized gas mask. Yeah, you've seen you know in 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 more recent iterations of Sandman, and now even in Earth 2, they had something where the Sandman was like a a squadron or something like this. Like it was like a a, a yeah. black ops team or something. Uh, 
Uh, which is that's which the is mask right. I'm thinking about. Yeah. And they, they they've kind of flattened the mask, which is unlike the the version and I'm about to talk about. But I, I just want to say, you know, Sandman is actually a character that I liked as a little kid when I first ever saw. Uh, I think I first saw Sandman comics maybe in uh, Jules Pfeiffer's comic book Heroes, but definitely it's one of my old books I saw. I just the idea of a guy wearing a gas mask. Uh, cool. And a suit, you know what I mean? Like we're like running, like like everyone else running around in leotards. He's rocking a suit, fedora, and a gas mask. I just found mm-hmm. it so cool. Uh, <laughs> so I, you know, I've actually been a fan of Sandman before uh, the Neil Gaiman series. But um, the most pronounced gas mask he ever wore was in Sandman Mystery Theater. This was a 70 issue Vertigo title from 1993 to 1999. Uh, it's it's a kind of a noir detective. Right, wouldn't you say mystery? Yeah. Sort of like he's he's sort of like a Sherlock Holmes noir. I don't know what to call it. And this was Matt Wagner, right? Matt Wagner and another guy wrote some of them too. Mm. I forget the other guy's name, but it really it was just the two of them wrote the whole series. Matt Wagner, I think, wrote the bulk of them. Um, and it was it had adult themes because it was it was in uh, Vertigo. Uh, Diane Belmont was there too. I'm not sure if they were. I don't. They weren't married. They were. She was acting as his whatever attaché or whatever you want to call yeah. her. Uh, and they changed his character a little bit. They made him a little pudgier. They gave him glasses. Uh, whereas in the old comics, he was kind of a rakish, you know, waspish dude, like all mm. like all good superheroes <laughs> must be. Uh, and he would actually have crossovers in, with Sandman, uh, not not so much on Neil Gaiman's side, but on uh, Sandman Mystery Theater side. He would often have dreams, and Morpheus would show up, and he would sometimes go visit. Um, Starman in uh, James Robinson and Tony Robbins Starman he and Diane would go to that guy's shop uh, Jack, oh, that was a Jack Knight great, right? yeah Jack Knight that was a great series yeah that, that, I mean, that's another series we, we probably take a look at it issue yeah. or two down the line but uh, that's going to wrap it up for this issue of Sandman number six I uh, hope you guys enjoyed it I hope you guys uh, got something out of it. If you did, if you didn't, if you want to write us love letters or hate mail, we prefer love letters. We do. Um, and spray them with perfume. Exactly. As as you know, please dot all your eyes with hearts and everything. Uh, you can write to this podcast at weirdsciencedccomics at gmail dot com. And if you want to follow us on Twitter, I'm at Reggie Reggie. I'm at Ace Comics. And every week, uh, I would tell you, you got to go read Chris's personal blog. Chris is on infiniteearth.blogspot.com. You can go search for that old Sandman comic review Certainly. you were talking about, or, you know, he does a new review of a DC comic every single day. And uh, they're wildly entertaining. And lately, you've been kind of theming them, tying them into our podcast our stuff. So. Yeah. Uh, you can get a little extra credit on our podcast if Certainly. you go read his blog. So make sure you check that out. Besides that, I think uh, we're done here. Unless you got something else for the people, Chris. No, nope, that'll that'll do us. Well, uh, until next week, make sure you stay on that treadmill cosmically. Two.